This is episode two with fine artist Ana Serrano. Have you ever wondered how do artists come up with ideas for their next painting? How do CEOs disrupt industries? How do chefs combine unexpected ingredients? Where do leaders find their strength and courage? Well, you've come to the right place. Magical Humans is about to make you feel seen and connected on a whole other level. My name is Vania Vananina. I'm an artist and creativity expert, and I am on a mission to talk to extraordinary people about their creativity, failures, wins, and everything in between. My wish is that these magical humans inspire you to take the leap and lead a creative life. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your magic with us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yay. Me too. So, okay, tell us, I, I know you, we work together and we're friends, but the world needs to hear your awesome story. So tell us what do you do and how did you start doing that? Mm -hmm. So I'm a fine artist and ever since I was little, I sort of knew like I wanted to be in the arts, even though I didn't necessarily have an example of that around me. But I was always interested in like anything that was creative. And like during school, I would like lean towards like any projects that had to deal with like making something like making a poster or a diorama or any of that thing. So I think I always kind of knew I wanted to be an artist and I pursued it. I went to Art Center College of Design in Pasadena. I got my bachelor's in illustration. Um, but then when I left school, I wasn't really make doing illustration work. I focused on like gallery and fine artwork. And, you know, I've exhibited in museums and galleries all mostly in the U.S. Um, but yeah, that's primarily what I consider myself as an artist. And how was that transition from, like, what you said, like, you got your degree in illustration, but then you started making things, like, fine art things for galleries and museums. So how was, why was that, that you were not making illustration? Was it, like, something that you felt? Or was it the market? Or was it, like, a project that started and then you kept going? So it started off um, during maybe my last year in art school. I took a class called processes and materials. And so it was all about uh, creating work with different types of materials. Like we made acrylic boxes, we made uh, plaster sculptures, we made molds, we worked on a lathe, we did vacuum forming. That sounds super fun. Yeah. It was so amazing to be able to, um, just produce these three-dimensional objects. Mm -hmm. And it really like ignited my memory of like when I was little and when I was making things. And I was like, yeah, this is, you know, more so than drawing, like I want to make things. Mm -hmm. And so luckily my program, the illustration program I was part of, they were very flexible. And so they allowed me to fulfill all the illustration assignments, but um, via like three-dimensional work. And so It, maybe that last year in school, I was only making three-dimensional work. And, you know, the things I was making work about kind of lended itself more to the gallery world and the museum world. And so that was, that's where the transition happened. Oh, that's super interesting. So 
this is how I imagine it. Um, you have these super cute whimsical characters. One of them is Carmelita, mm -hmm. and you'll guys see it in that blog post. She's super cute. She has this uh, big, flowy blue hair. So you would just, if you made, did you, Carmel, was Carmelita a thing when you were in college yet? No, that's totally like from the last few years. But I was, when I was working um, primarily with drawing and illustrating, my style was very like sweet and whimsical and very um, cute. Mm -hmm. You know, it was very cute. Mm -hmm. I think it still is. It's, it's whimsical yeah. and cute and colorful and, and just... I don't know. You just want to hug your creations. They're so adorable. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and then what was what was your first show outside of school? Was it a group show? Was it a solo show? Was it a gallery? Was it a cafe? Like how once you started making things, tridimensional work, how did that flow? Yeah, well, because I was making the three-dimensional work and I was sort of like just doing what I wanted to make towards the end, especially for my like senior for my senior show. Right. Which is the thesis. You put this whole show together. Um, it was all really work that wasn't an assignment necessarily. That was like work that I just wanted to make. Mm. So like, for example, I had that big sculpture Cartonandia in mm -hmm. it that was inspired by like, um, Guanajuato, Mexico. Mm -hmm. And then I had this huge sculpture of Chalino Sanchez. Mm -hmm. So I was referencing like my cultural background. And mm -hmm. so then because I made this whole cohesive show based on that, I think it was really easy for gallerists and curators to take notice. And part of that last show at school, a lot of like industry people come and see the work. And mm. so just based on that, I, that was my very first like show opportunity came based off of that. I had okay. this um, one man visited the show and then he was able, he was a curator. So he put me in a group show mm. that was down in LA. Mm -hmm. So that was like the very beginning. I just had, yeah, this one opportunity. And then once you have this, it's sort of like, yeah, it's like a little snowball where, yeah. where people see the work and, you know, you get more and more opportunities as you go. That's yeah. awesome. Um, what, so you've worked with amazing people all over the world um, in these really cool projects that it's, for me, it has been fascinating to learn about your process and the behind the scenes of, you know, the finished uh, artwork. So you work with Target and Katy Perry and yeah. David LaChapelle. Um, so tell us, like, how, walk us through, like, those three projects, or if you want to share any other projects with brands or, I don't know, big people in the in the, in your field of work. How did those happen? And what is it that you made? So the reason I'm able to work with those companies, it's because I get hired by like the production designer mm -hmm. and the production designers. They're always kind of looking for talent. They're always like um, looking for people that have specific skill sets that then they can use. Right. So um, I was approached by one production designer that was like, hey, you know, from looking at my fine art, she could tell, like, I know how to make things three dimensionally. She knows that I can make things with paper and cardboard and I could make things and I'm crafty with my hands. So she was like, hey, can you it was just like one random commercial. The very first one I got was like 
a vitamins commercial, <laughs> like a brand that I don't even remember anymore. But um, she was able to look at my work and say, hey, those skill sets I can use in this commercial. Awesome. And so then I went on set and I didn't have any idea the way that industry works because it's so different than the fine art world. It's like... It's, what is different about it? Well, it's more about like... When I take on those jobs, it's more about like just fulfilling somebody else's vision mm -hmm. and I have the skill set. So oh. um, it's somebody else's like ideas, Correct. right? So it's mostly executed. It. Yeah, it's like the director has this vision for a commercial. The production designer jobs is to fulfill that vision mm -hmm. to get the right you know, the set looking the way the director wants it to look. And then my job is to, I take orders from the production designer and it's like, oh, make this and make this mm -hmm. and make that. So, but it's really cool because it is creative and I still have some input. I'm like, oh, this is like, this is a material that we can use rather than this one or this one will hold up. And it's a That's lot when of, your expertise comes in. Yeah. And okay. it's a lot of problem solving, really, because... Some of the commercials are like, okay, we need this object to do this for this amount of time, or mm -hmm. we need it to be hung, right? Mm -hmm. So then I have to think about, okay, well, it can't be a thick material, and I have to like figure something out light how. And yeah, so there's a lot of problem solving <laughs> with with that work, and that's, but it's also creative, and I'm also working with my hands, and it's fun because it's also like fast paced, like. I mean, I could just be on set like for four days and when four days I have to like finish like this whole like big list of things. things. Yeah. And so um, it sounds really fun. It like, is really like playing, fun. you know, like, oh, when you when you're a kid and you're making, a, I don't know, like a diorama kid style or something, just like. Yeah. Figuring out what works. Exactly. Yeah. They. It's a really fun and like it's rewarding because then it's. Unlike the fine art work, like these things are attached to big names. And so it's always fun to like go back and tell your family like, oh, yeah, look at this Target commercial, that thing in the background. I made it. And then like they get really excited oh, about that. Yeah. Even though it's like so silly and it's on the screen for like one second, you but know, nonetheless, it's your they, work. Yeah. And then it's recognizable. So yeah. to them, it has like more of this like weight. You know, of course. Yeah. What is it? So how did you end up making those vitamins or what? what is it that you had to make like a storefront so or that? No, on that commercial, I had to make like paper fruit. OK. And so the by the way, people, Anna is a paper queen. Like she knows all the things about paper and cutting it and pasting it. And she makes these creations that you could not believe it's paper. And it is. So she's a magician with paper. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, but yeah, on the commercial, it was a pretty a random concept where it was like this little, uh, no, this woman would take a pill and it would like, they would show the inside workings of her body and mm -hmm. the pill going through the different parts of the body. But then the commercial never aired. <laughs> uh, yeah, it never aired because once it went to like be reviewed by like, I don't know, consumers, yeah. An integral part of the commercial was that there was a little boy controlling things. And oh, so it's that. like, yeah, yeah, the context of that would have been misread. And exactly. So oh it God. never oh, aired. Work. Yes. And, and that happens a lot of times. Like I will 
make things and the either the whole commercial never airs or the thing I make gets it doesn't cut, make, uh. gets cut on set. Like sometimes I'm like working. Like one time I was in a Target commercial and I was making these huge like um, clouds with like chicken wire. <laughs> and then like they were huge and they were really hard to make. Um, and what was it for? Like what was the, the it was theme a big of the cloud? Commercial? It was uh, during the holidays. Okay. So it was just like background, like bubbly clouds yeah. and. Christmas things and yeah I was like halfway through building it and they were like that scene got cut and I'm like okay so there goes like a whole day's worth right but you're still getting paid for it so you kind of just take it and like move on to the next thing but yeah there's a lot of that that happens behind the scenes because things are constantly moving Mm -hmm. and in that in that commercial world there's so many people involved that there's so many opinions yeah and Things change. Things to constantly. consider. Yeah. Um, and then I remember you showed, I don't know if you showed me, or I just uh, saw it on Instagram. Follow Anna at Anna Serrano underscore O. You made this amazing fire hydrant. Mm-hmm. And you see it. And it's a fire hydrant. And then Anna is like, oh, it's paper. And I, it was pink, I believe. What, what Was that a Target commercial? It was a Target commercial, mm. and it was back to school. Mm. So it was a, yeah, monochromatic pink set, and then there was these kids that were going to, like, walk across, like, this, like, fake street on set. But it's really hard to sort of, like, uh, I don't know. I think my brain just, like, understands how to build things three-dimensionally. And, of course, with lots of practice and also, like, being on set and learning from other people like, oh, this, you know, this works and this doesn't work. And just from like doing it so many times, I think like I know how to do it, but it's it's odd because I didn't necessarily like take a class on how to make things with paper. Right. Or which is even more amazing and and worthy, I think, Mm -hmm. because it's something that comes from within. Yeah. Like, I just, I don't know, I naturally know how to, like, when I look at something, I'm like, okay, this is the way it can work, you know? That is such an important skill, and not everyone can do it, you know? It's like, when you, I just uh, envisioned you, like, in your brain, like, you know, like, things going up here, like, okay, rotating, like, like, rotating the shapes, and then, like, maybe I make this cut here, da-da-da. There's a little bit of that that has to go on, because a lot of it is, like, okay, if I build, like, this shape, but then I need to insert another shape in it, it's, like, the order of things, right? So, I can see that my brain doing that with trying to figure out the order of things, Mm -hmm. but there's also a lot of trial and error. Like you see the finished product, but you don't see maybe the, my sample or the little version of the thing that I was going to make. You make little versions? Or, oh yeah, like sometimes to figure out like scale or to figure out like the process, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think like just uh, even just doing it a few times before you make the the big actual piece like really helps and you problem solve that way. That's awesome. Yeah. Tell us what has been your favorite experience working on a set. I would say my favorite job so far mm-hmm. is actually when I got early on and it was for a Nick Jr. commercial. Mm-hmm. And so it played during the holiday season. Like every year I think they make like this like holiday song and it's like a unique one. They don't like go based off 
Yeah. So one year um, I had to make like the background sets for this holiday song music video. And then they animated like characters in front of my work. So it was really cool because one of the scenes they animated like Dora the Explorer and like boots in front of it, (laughs) or they animated like all these other characters. So I think that like, that was really fun because it was like really colorful and I had a little bit more creative freedom in it in that like they gave me the color palette and sort of like the dimensions that these miniature sets had to be. Mm. And then I was able to sort of like be creative and do my own thing, you know, to a certain extent still within these parameters. So that project, not only it felt like I had more freedom to make like the little things I wanted to make, but then I also got to see like characters animated in front of the work, which was really cool. I bet yeah. because you know you see them on TV, the series, and it, and this is something you create with your hands. Mm-hmm. So that must have felt really cool. Yeah, and it was a thing that like I had multiple friends that have kids tell me like, "Oh, we saw it," oh. or "We see it." Like it always plays in the commercials, so and, that's always fun. And also, Anna, it's TV. Yeah, you know, I feel like. It's not like, oh, you know, you were on the penny saver and, you know, it was cool. But it was like a kid watching on TV. And I think when you're a kid, or even like even right now, even as a grown up, yeah. you're like, oh, my God, like I was on yeah, TV you, or my work was on TV. It's like yeah. a big thing. Yeah. You always feel like it's like this mystery, right? Mm. You always feel like, how does that stuff happen? Or you feel like it's so unattainable Mm -hmm. you know but once you've worked on these things you're like oh yeah it's just like everything else right for us that have seen the behind the scenes but then for people at home it's like it feels like another world almost it's like how does tv get made and how do movies get made it feels like so different yeah yeah Yeah, this is why this is one of the things that i was really excited about when creating this podcast because I wanted to know how is it for someone to be a human in the world watching these commercials or, you know, trying these uh, dishes at a restaurant or hearing a musical piece, but also being behind the scenes. Like, how are things made and how is your creative process, you know? Because we see all these things, but we don't know. Like, seriously, that fire hydrant, check it out. It's really good. The audience wants to know, tell us about working with Katy Perry. (laughs) Um, It was a really fun shoot. Um, The song was called uh, This Is How We Do. And we must have heard that song so many times (laughs) on set because they do a lot of playback. Oh, I see. Yeah. And so, yeah, I memorized like the whole song by the time the commercial was over. But um, I was uh, fortunate to be... um, there was two of us working like for nine days straight on making all of the paper pieces that you see in the commercial. And is this a warehouse? Is this it does a, is a video shoot? It was a, a, the video, the music video for this song, right? For this is how we do. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then are you the, these nine days straight? Are you all in a warehouse where the set is, and then you have a separate working? space Um, or how it really it depends on every job but for this particular and it's pretty typical or pretty normal it's um 
you start off working like at home. Mm-hmm. Sometimes like the production designer has a studio that they work out of. So they'll invite you to come work there. Mm. Um, for this job, I was working out of my my studio in L.A. at the time. And I did I did the job with my friend whose name is Michelle Samora. And she goes by Viva La Puppet. And she mm-hmm. all she does is make puppets mm. and also paper stuff, obviously. Yeah. But like her specialty is puppets, which is a whole nother thing. It's like amazing. But um, it was me and her in my studio for maybe like, I think it was like five days in the studio. And then once it's time to shoot, then we move over on set. And sometimes if certain certain jobs, like I will finish the work before we get on set. So I don't even make it on set, mm. you know? And then sometimes it's like, the job is really fast paced. So, or they need me on set to make like these last minute, like corrections or or fixes, or sometimes things break and, you know. Well, what was it that you were making specifically? um, So we were doing, it was all sort of like very summery themed. So we made like um, paper ice cream sandwiches, uh, paper lollipops or ice cream pops. We made a stack of pancakes. We made, there was like a, this little, like a breakfast scene. So there was like milk and a teacup and a little flour. And there was like I, there watermelon, was watermelon slices. Yeah. yeah. There was like a koi fish. There was tacos. Everything out of paper. The, everything out of paper. Oh my so we had like a, and for paperwork, it seems like you can do it fast, but it takes a lot of time. I bet. And so we had to do all this like in a really condensed time mm-hmm. frame. But yeah, and then once you're on set, I did get to meet her very briefly. But it was the experience was really cool. I mean, just being on a set, like, and I don't do a lot of music videos, which was cool too, to mm-hmm. see like that. To have difference. that experience. Yeah, to have that experience and to see how like fast and like professional everything has to be it's like they do like this one take and she does it in one take and move on to the next scene and does it in one take or you know because she's a professional so she's got it down you know wow thank you for sharing that okay and then about your fine work you just had this amazing show called homegrown Mm -hmm. it's so intricate and full of nostalgia and for me as a Mexican it it brought up all kinds of feelings you know of you know the the bricks and the like how things are the colors and and also the ruda like the plants and things so can you tell us more about that like how did this show what the concept how did it exactly so um I was approached by the museum and the museum is a Pasadena Museum of California Art. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had seen my work elsewhere. So they have this uh, room where they call it sort of the project room where they invite artists to come and make site-specific work. Mm. So I went on a site visit. I looked at the space. And um, it, the room is probably like 20 by 20 feet. And it's right at the beginning of the museum. So right as like you pay your ticket it's like one of the first room Mm. that you see Mm -hmm. so once I saw that space I sort of like brainstormed different like 
things that I wanted to do with it, you know? And one of the things that had been sort of like percolating in the back of my mind for a really long time was to make a piece that was sort of like inspired by my family's sort of um, like rural background because they grew they all from like the rural part of Mexico, right? And what state? Um, in Sinaloa, mm-hmm. my family had this like upbringing that was very like you know you live on a farm, you raise your animals, you raise your own food, and you know once they migrated to the U.S. in the mid seventies that lifestyle completely changed. Now, now we're in an urban environment. Now I grew up like, you know, in a city and not growing my own food and not growing my own or growing. Caring, uh, taking care of your animals. <laughs> exactly. That fed you. And exactly. So with that idea in mind, like thinking about how this like, um, like migration changes, like from one generation to another, like so abruptly, like I wanted to take that idea and make sort of like this visual representation of that. So for this piece, I basically created this, um, it's kind of like an, like a enclosed garden almost where the walls are brick, but they're cardboard. Everything everything is is, cardboard. Everything is cardboard. Everything is cardboard and paper. There is an understructure that's wood, and that's just so that, you know, the piece doesn't fall apart. Yeah, for stability. Yeah. Yeah. But none of the wood is visible. So all you see is cardboard and paper, and it's, um, there's these four-foot walls, four, four four-foot walls, so it's like a square, and then you're able to walk into this space, and once you're in it, um, you see about nine different plants, and all the plants were sort of symbolic of things that my family grew in Mexico and then also still grows here in the U.S., you know, and they were things like you mentioned Ruda, um, which is rue in English. Um, there was basil. There was like aloe vera. There were roses. There was like nine chiles. total. Yeah, there the were chiles. the little chiles. Um, and so I think that those... These plants sort of become like this metaphor, this vehicle to try to make connections between like how I grew up here in the U.S. and then how they grew up in Mexico. Yeah, just hearing, I mean, just hearing you talk about it. And since I've seen the images, I I, I couldn't, I didn't have the opportunity to see the show in person in California. But it's just so, so magical how you were able to make that happen and then out of paper and cardboard and then when you see it it's so intricate and beautiful and looks real and then what do you mention about you know that transition of being how they migrated and how they grew up and then how you grew up here but still it's in your blood and it's your heritage and I I love when that happens because we carry our culture yeah. in our blood you know even if we grow up in a different different environment different way of life but it's it's uh where we come from and, and it's also, so beautiful yeah and it's there they consciously and i think this is true not just for my family but all families that come here to the u.s they consciously try to keep certain mm-hmm. things alive and not necessarily just completely assimilate right to American culture, but they're still trying to hold on to these things. So even though like, and when they moved to the U S they, you know, landed in LA, even though there we had such a limited amount of land, like they were still like growing things in Mm -hmm. that land, you know, even though it was small compared to like what they had back home. 
Um, so I think that's cool that they're still trying to keep these like little traditions or these little way of lives um, in a new place. And even though it's so drastically different, they're still able to like, yeah, find a way. Yeah. Find a way. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is. Yeah. And super special. Yeah. And then for that piece, I also made sure to like use like the bright colors that are very reminiscent of like, not only architecture in Mexico, but also architecture here in the U.S. where you see like a lot of Latino neighborhoods mm-hmm. have like these very bright colors. And I use like the the iron bars that are, yes. you know, indicative of like this type of neighborhood. And so it was really trying to like bring like both of these sort of like worlds, worlds together in this one, you know, sculpture. I love it. For me, since, you know, since I've met you, that homegrown show, it brings up all kinds of feelings. And and then, you know, I I always praise you for your ability to make things out of paper and cardboard. But I don't know if there's all this meaning. Please tell us, what are the themes in your fine art? What are other things that you Mm -hmm. explore? So I'm mostly taking a look at sort of my, like, like dual cultural background. Like I, you know, I grew up in, was born in Los Angeles, grew up there, but all of my family is Mexican. They all migrated to the U.S. in the mid 70s. And so I take a look from that perspective of having these two cultural backgrounds and then I make work based on that. I'm mostly known for making these like small sculptural pieces that reference architecture and so a lot of them are small scale. They're about like 18 inches at the most, you know, small pieces, but they are heavily influenced by like the urban environment and the urban landscape, particularly in Los Angeles, because that's where I grew up. But they these pieces can be really any place in the U.S., you know, there's lots of Latino neighborhoods spread out everywhere where Latinos are. Yeah, exactly. So when I'm like creating these buildings, I'm really looking at like these little icons or these little things that make it uniquely a Latino neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking like at color yes. is really important. I'm looking at the type of like materials that are used, mm. you know, like a lot of uh, like for fen- a lot of fencing, you know, um, the iron the, bars, the you iron mentioned. bars on the windows. We see like multiple satellite units in a one house. Yes. We see the window AC units. We see Virgen de Guadalupe. Yeah, exactly. Everything. Stickers, posters, images. Exactly. So, like, visually, those are the clues, right? You're like, oh, we're in Latino neighborhood. And then also, what's been really interesting is because I'm so, like, drawn to that and so, like, observant of these things. Like, you know, you notice just, like, the way you use space so differently. Like, in, like, a typical, like, American, even, like, a suburban type of neighborhood, like, the front yard is not really used as a social space. Mm-hmm. It's more of a, like, a space that's there to be manicured and to be clean and only to be seen, right? Yes. It's, like, a almost a status symbol. Like, yeah. how green is your lawn or something or how beautiful your landscaping is. Your plants, your flowers. Yeah. If you have... Um, 
for like how do you say like patio furniture mm-hmm. or you know those kinds of things yeah the decorative elements so yeah and for like a, when you go when we look in the latino neighborhood it's really used as another like an extension of the home it's mm-hmm. like a social space so you see people out there eating you have parties in the front yard yeah. you have like kids playing all the time kids playing it you know, I've become very like observant of these like little things that are, um, and so all of that sort of like makes its way back into the work, mm-hmm. you know. So, like, I have a this piece called Alberca, and it's just, um, well, first of all, it's a, a craftsman home, but it's a craftsman that's been stuccoed over, which you know, for like the architecture purists would be like. Oh my God, this is the worst thing you can do to a craftsman <laughs> is to just stucco it over. Cause, yeah. you know, people like love their craftsmen and they want to keep everything like historical and whatnot. <laughs> but I think like Latinos that come to this country have a different sense of that, right? Definitely. It's like, it's like let's be practical and let's make more with less. <laughs> exactly. And- so it's a craftsman that's been stuccoed over. And then there's just like a kiddie pool in the front yard. Alberca you know? means yeah. pool. Yeah. In Spanish. So there's a kiddie pool. And so, and that's basically, those are like the two main things in the piece. It's, it's sparse. It's, there's not a lot of else, anything else going on, but even with like the minimal amount of clues, like you're able to like put all like the whole story together and put all the pieces together. And so, yeah. And a lot of the, my work centers around that theme of like the urban environment, the urban landscape and how um, Latinos interact with it. Mm-hmm. And, that is yeah. so interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, you're saying all these things, and I'm like, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Because, you know, it's, it's... Oh, you're... And I think everyone's, like, subconsciously aware of it, right? But yeah. then when you... Especially when you see it in a gallery space, and when you're removed that much, it becomes like, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, like, yeah, I get yeah. this, right? But it takes you... It almost takes people to be completely removed from it and be in this particular space to sort of like be aware of it. And then see it from another perspective. Instead of being like, oh, it's natural. Oh, yes. It just happens. I grew up with it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It just, it just, it just is. And nothing really ever is just is. No, it has a motive. It has a meaning. Meaning. And yeah, there's all this like background to it and. That's one of the things that's been really cool is that um, with this work, I, I get a lot of people coming back and saying, hey, I noticed this on my drive home or I noticed this house and I never would have noticed it before, you yes. know, or they'll notice like this type of fence that's really cool or this like topiary or something. And and I'm like, and yeah, they, they mention it's because they saw my work and now they're looking for these things out in the real world themselves, which is really cool. I love that yeah. because, yes, I'm, I mean, I don't want to say bias, but, you know, I relate to those things. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like, oh, like now I've been living in Portland for six years and if I see those elements, I feel like this little thing inside my yeah. heart, like, oh, they have a string of chiles or garlic hanging. Yeah. Or I see uh, certain kinds of plants mm-hmm. or I see how they use their front. Yeah. You're totally it's I love this it's conversation. Familiar, and I think people are always like, yeah, going to be attracted to things that they're familiar with, you know. Yes. And I think that's also important being 
a Latina in this country is important to sort of recognize those things and, and put them into the work mm-hmm. is important because... Celebrate them. Yeah, to celebrate them, especially in the context of fine art, because that whole culture and that whole world is very white and it's very white male dominated. Yes. Um, and so that's one of the greatest things that has happened from my art practice is that I get to see like small kids interact with the work because my work is very playful mm-hmm. and, you know, at the surface level, right. It's yeah. very like, it's accessible to everyone. It's not, it might be conceptual, but it's not work that you need to read a whole, you know, um, no, it's like artist statement to understand it. Yes. It's, it's it still accessible. accessible. Right. So even like kids can look at it and understand it. And so, it just so happens that a lot of um, teachers have used it in their classrooms Mm -hmm. and a lot of teachers in like predominantly like Latino neighborhoods or Latino schools have used it and like, you know, and they're able to like show them my work and they're like, look, this is another Mexican American and she's that making makes work fine art. Yes. that makes work. And she's in this gallery and she's in this museum. And so just being able to reach that audience like at such a young age I think is important it's so important yeah like I never I never had that we didn't go to museums when I was young and I didn't even know a living artist even in high school Mm -hmm. I was like I know like Picasso I know like Frida Kahlo uh like all of the dead people exactly I'm like I didn't know like one living artist and obviously they were there. there. They were there. But, you know, if when you don't have those resources and you don't have somebody showing you these things, like it just it's very like how you mentioned the TV situation. It feels very like separate, like it feels like almost magic. Like, so exactly. somebody's just making art, but you don't know like how, how they live, how they, how they look, there. yeah, where they come from. Exactly. One thing that I really appreciate about your work is that you incorporate all these elements and that, you know, representation matters. Mm-hmm. And it's what you're saying about these teachers bringing this art, fine artwork into the classroom and showing them not only like here, like this is familiar to our roots or what we do, but also this is a living It's a artist. living person doing it's it right now. It's a living person doing yeah. it right now. It's a Mexican-American. And now... They're in galleries and collectors are buying her work. You know, representation matters. Yeah. We need to see ourselves represented out there because otherwise, you know, like, uh, well, I guess, you know, it could. Yeah, uh, it's it just brings, especially when you're a kid, it it brings this sense of confidence. Yeah. Even if you don't want to be that, but you're like, oh, but it's possible. Yes, Exactly. These and people that's are all doing it is. It. It's, it's confidence to know that, oh, yeah, I could do it, too. I could do it, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is so important. Mm-hmm. And I love hearing all of these elements. Yeah, it just, it makes me smile and, and, you know, think of many things and memories. What is your favorite element out of all these things? Like... La Virgencita and the bright colors and the plants and the kids playing and all of the things that you incorporate into your art. What is that element that brings you the most joy to make Mm. or to incorporate? 
mm-hmm. that you're like, oh, no, I it definitely has to have this. Um, I think it has changed over the years. I think there, I think in the beginning, I was just really into the colors and into the fact that people were responding to it, you know? So the colors was like a big thing for me to be able to use colors that aren't always associated with fine art, right? Like in fine art, a lot of times we're looking at like black or white or things that appear. I always say like color has like this inherent value in it. Yeah. And so these bright colors aren't as valuable, right? Like Mm -hmm. when we look at like a homeowner's association, they're not going to let you paint your house bright pink. There's this, there's a there's like a color chart of things that are suitable for things. And so in the beginning for me to use these like really bright colors and almost in like these even weird color combinations that don't even make sense. or For that me, they aren't. make sense. No, for us, they <laughs> yeah, make sense. But or that, yeah, for... that aren't maybe like considered like in good taste, but in good taste exactly. in, in quotes, in right? Quotes. Like, so I think like using these colors was really like important for me in the beginning. Like, yes, like I want to make sure that these colors are represented. Thank you for mentioning this. Of course, uh, I love color, color, bright colors, especially and these odd in quotes, uh, color combinations bring me life. Like they just make me glad I'm alive, make me feel better. And, you know, there's also like science behind uh, the use of color and how it enhances your mood and your energy. And one thing that I, I don't want to say struggle, but it's something that is present when I living here in the U.S. is that when I take walks on around my neighborhood or other neighborhoods in the U.S., that are not Latino or that are, you know, predominantly white. It's all, I just, it's It's all bleak and gray. You know, it's like neutrals or these washed down green baby poop color. (laughs) And then this like light straw that is super washed down. No, it's, yeah. It, It just makes like, why does it hurt you to paint your door bright yellow? Or a nice blue <laughs> or a teal. And it, everywhere you see, and it's like, oh, my God, it's the same. Yeah. Well, especially that, I think that has been a really tough transition for me coming oh, yeah. from Los Angeles. And so I've Such a at, vibrant city. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I lived in Portland, what, for like two years. And everything here is so gray. It's so Bleak. neutral. Yeah. You know, you do have like these small glimpses every now and then where... If it's a bright color, it's usually a purple house, yes. which is weird. Like in L.A., I haven't seen a lot of purple houses. So I'm like, OK, you know, that's their color. That's yes. like their bright <laughs> their color. Thing. That's as bright as they're going to get purple. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm still trying to figure out how that, like, will affect my work. Like, mm-hmm. I've been lucky enough to— You mean to, your sense of— uh, my, my fine artwork. Okay. Like, is it going to— change it or not and that or that was a question like at the very beginning right like I'm moving from a landscape that's like so colorful and quirky because like in LA like every block will have five houses with five different styles of architecture it's just like it's like anything goes yeah and here it's very like uh the same a neutral craftsman right um 
all over the place. So that's one of the things I struggled in the beginning. I'm like, is that going to affect my work or who I am or whatnot? But I've been lucky enough that I go down LA so often that I don't lose that sense mm-hmm. of like, okay, yeah, this is what I'm this attracted goes. to. Yeah. yeah. I'm like this is. Well, I am grateful for the mm-hmm. work you do, not only because it resonates with me and it brings me joy seeing the bright colors and these fun elements, but, you know, because representation matters and also because you're staying true to yourself. So, Anna, there's this stereotype of the struggling artist and that, you know, they don't sell their art, they struggle to make ends meet. But I know you have this other project that... Mm-hmm is super cute and is super fun (laughs) where you're able to have another income or source of revenue, but it's you're still making art. Mm -hmm. So please tell us about that. Yeah. So it's called um, a a super fun and it's like Spanglish, a super fun. And I started it in 2015. So it's still very young and it's still very much sort of like a side hustle, side project, I call it, because in my mind, I always still want to like put my fine art first, you know, just because. But I got to a point where I was like burnt out a little bit and I really wanted to go back to illustrating and drawing and just having fun with it, you know, for the sake of it, for the sake of it. Yeah. And which I think is also has value, you know, it's just, I think I needed that outlet at that moment in time. Um, And like I said, I got my degree in illustration. So obviously like I love drawing and And you know how to do it and and I know how to do it. And I just, and I love it. And it, you know, it's what I went to school for. And so Um, Yeah, in 2015, I started this brand and all it is, is like I draw like these fun, whimsical characters and then I make products with those illustrations. So I'll make like pins and patches and mugs and stickers and stickers and buttons and and tote bags and tote bags. Yeah. And so I have my Etsy and that's and like you said, it's another, um, you know, source of income, but it's also very fulfilling in that I just get to make cute little fun things that people like really like and people like look at them and they just smile. And that's what that really that was like the intention of it all since the beginning was like, I want to do something where I don't have to justify it. I don't have to write a two page artist statement on it, you know? Yeah. Just like having fun, making like this weird little thing. Exactly. And it, it, and that that's what it was for me and that's what it is for people they just they it just puts a little smile on their face and that's and that's what it is yeah i agree mm-hmm. and you know it's it is super fun mm-hmm. it's super fun anna so we're doing a lightning round <laughs> what has been the hardest lesson you've had to learn I think the hardest lesson has been for an artist is how self-disciplined you have to be and you have to be self-accountable for things. And no one is, it's not like a nine to five where somebody's there like, hey, this is due at this time and whatnot. It's holding yourself accountable and meeting your own deadlines is really hard. What is a moment when you feel magical? 
probably like when I'm done with like an installation or an art show and it's like that opening night and everything's like right where it needs to be. And I'm like, "Ah," you can breathe. And you're like, oh, my God, I did all of this. Yes. And I did it in this amount of time with these resources. And I'm proud of it. Standing Mm -hmm. in that own recognition. Like, yes. Yeah. I did it. And for an artist, it's hard because like 99% of the time you're just in your studio, right? You're not... As a working it's artist, not glamorous, you're not, yeah. yeah, it's not glamorous and you're not getting <laughs> feedback and people aren't seeing the work. And so it's like, eh, what am I doing? Exactly. Is this, you know, yeah. but then once you get to the point where it's for the public and then you get feedback and yeah, it's Good. a magical time. Well, was a toy you've always wanted, but never had as a kid? Ooh, a toy. Oh my God. This is so funny. I wanted a Ken doll. <laughs> But my mom would never buy me the boy doll. So this is what I did. I took um, one of my regular Barbies and I cut her hair. <laughs> I've never owned a Ken doll. It was because it, you wanted one to have like the whole family or just have yeah, the couple? Yeah, like the boyfriend, right? And also like the, the yeah, okay. And I then, wanted, yeah, the couple. What is a day in the life for you? Oh my gosh. It's so different every day, which is what's cool because you know I don't have a regular job I need to like show up at but I would say the typical day is like wake up breakfast lots of emails in the morning fun yeah (laughs) which I dread I'm not like an email person but and then if I have a project going on it's usually get right to the studio I usually work pretty late Just because I don't, like I said, like it's so hard when you work at home to know when to stop. Yes. Even. Yes. So you can relate to that. Yeah. So there's a lot of, yeah, working till the late nights. Sometimes I'm I'm even more productive at night. I feel like I'm more of a night owl. Me too. And I like, I'd rather like stay up till like three. Yes. Yeah. Instead of like 6 a.m., let's yeah, make no. some art. Yeah. No, I don't wake up early. So I'm not like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm not eating breakfast like at 7 a.m. No, it's like 10-ish. 10-ish, <laughs> yeah. If you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive? Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I almost want to say it'd be somebody like my grandpa or somebody who's not here, you know, mm-hmm. who um, he recently passed away and I love him so much. And like just to have one more day would be amazing. Best advice someone gave you? Mm, I think it was probably during school. I had a teacher tell me to, you know, just make what I want to make and then think about the application later. Mm-hmm. And that really freed me up because since I was going through the illustration program, I, you know, I had to fulfill these assignments. But what I really wanted to do was just like make my own work. And so, Once I started just making the work I wanted to make, I think I found my voice. Share an unpopular opinion. Ooh. It can be regarding anything. It doesn't have I to be. I don't think Ryan Gosling is cute. <laughs> oh, my God. The phones are going crazy. All these people are calling. <laughs> I just don't get it. <laughs> MMG. Okay. It's weird, right? He has like a maybe that that has died down. Describe the color pink 
to somebody that is blind? Mm, it's soft and it's sweet. And yeah, I think it, it's just like a cuddly color. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You cannot see us when we're here cuddling, we're cuddling. <laughs> in a pink blanket. <laughs> I think it's my favorite color, too. What was the last gift you gave someone? Oh, I'm trying to think. Oh, I made, um, my friend got married, and I made her a cake topper. Do you have any crazy travel stories? Oh, my gosh. Probably every time, like, I go to like Latin America, like I've been to Peru, Belize, Guatemala, and I feel like those Mexico, are the, of course. and Mexico. Um, those are the craziest countries <laughs> to travel in because they're so unorganized. And uh, one time we were we had gone really late to a hotel, and we had to get to the hotel on a boat. Like you couldn't, you, yeah, you couldn't walk there. There's no, like you had Which to. Which is an island. Yeah, because it's a little island. And so we had to jump on this boat while it's pouring rain, <laughs> pouring rain and like a little windy. So we were telling the guy from the hotel, we're like, hey, can we wait a little bit till it stops raining? He's like, no, like, it's okay. And of course he's done it a million times, right? But you're like, I want to die. I don't want to go. I don't know how to swim. There's no life jackets. I'm like, it's pouring rain. There's wind. It's a tiny boat. <laughs> and so we get in the boat and they give us a tarp. So we put over our heads. What? Yeah. No. So, and now we can't see anything. <laughs> on top of it. And it's nighttime. So we couldn't even see anything, but now we really can't. And it's raining and it's cold. And I'm just like, I just, please, <laughs> what God. I, what just am I get doing me. with my life? Yes, just get me to the hotel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. What is your favorite word? Mm, you know, I like... I have a list on my phone of like uh, your favorite words. Word? No, yeah, but in Spanish. <laughs> oh, I see. Because Spanish words are so weird, like um, like alcahueta. <laughs> like what? <laughs> uh, yes. Like how would you explain that? To alcahueta. Some? Yeah. It's someone. So alcahueta by being ending in an a, you're talking about a woman a or a bird. female. It yeah. someone that identifies as female. And it would be someone that lets you do what you want and, or eggs and you on. It eggs you on. Exactly. Yeah. So and they enhance That's, they like um they they poke at you and they egg you on to do things. Exactly. And yeah. then when you're doing it, this would be an alcahueta would be someone like if your aunt, if you're staying over at your aunt's house and you and your parents don't let you drink, drink. And then <laughs> she lets you have a party at her house and get like shit faced. Yeah. You know, or she would be alcahueta. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of thing. Because it's just, it sounds weird. I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like the word is just weird. And then what it is, it's weird. I'm like, we don't have something like that in English. Yeah, right? we don't. Yeah. Oh, Anna, this has been such a fun conversation. And, and you know, it, it has been an honor for me to hear about your creative process and, and your experiences <laughs> and stories and shows because I love your work. Yay, and also, you. 
you are a badass Latina artist that's taking names and brands and just doing the thing. And you are also very disciplined. That's something that I admire from you. Like you do the thing and it's, that is a big trait. And as an artist, mm -hmm. you, it's, it's essential. So yeah. Ana, where can people find you? Um, so I have a website and it's just my name, anaserrano.com. And I have an Instagram and Anna Serrano underscore O. And if they want to look at like my super fun things, you just go to a super and it links you to my Etsy. And then on Instagram, it's also a super fun. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening. This is what I am taking away from my conversation with Anna. Number one, follow the things that you liked when you were a kid. They may lead you to your best work. Number two, working on projects just for fun is productive. Number three, showcase your skills. Someone might find what they're looking for in your work. Number four, sometimes projects don't see the light of day. That's okay. They prepare you for what's next. Number five, pay attention to the context. Know your audience. Number six, stay true to your roots when you put your work out there. Representation matters more than you think. Number seven, call your own bullshit. Be consistent, be disciplined, be self-accountable. Number eight, when you make what you love, it's super fun. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and you feel a little bit more inspired, more magical, more human. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show. Say hello to me on Instagram and tell me what resonated with you or what did you like the most about today's episode. If anything you listened to made you think of someone, please go share it with them. The world is a better place when we make each other feel seen. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I see you, I hear you, I love you. Talk to you next week. Bye. This show is produced by Annie Fassler of Puddle Creative with music by Megan Diana and cover art by Vania Vananina, that's me, and Maya Busby. Mm -hmm.